in Horace's case, if he's reporting on criminal cases, which some of his blogs do, and he's offering insight and commentary on that, isn't that free speech? I mean, just like a reporter and a journalist would report on free speech. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for joining us today. This is Bob Ambrogi, uh, normally coming to you from just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, but uh, today uh, in Denver, Colorado. Uh, My co-host, Jay Craig Williams, is off on vacation this week, apparently, uh, so he won't be joining us. Uh, I, of course, write a blog called Law Sites, uh, another blog called Media Law, and uh, Craig writes the blog, May It Please the Court. Before we get started, I, of course, like to thank our show's sponsors, as as we always do, First of all, Clio, a web-based practice management uh, application, which is available at goclio.com. Also, Above All Legal, a new online job board for the legal community. You can find out more about Above All Legal at abovealllegal.com. And uh, also, we'd like to thank Firm Manager from LexisNexis. And you can find out more about Firm Manager, which is a cloud-based practice management uh, application at uh, myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Well, today we're going to talk uh, about the uh, kind of interface between legal blogging and legal ethics uh, and, and, and the First Amendment as well, I guess, uh, with particular reference to a case that's been uh, much in the news over the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, that involving Virginia criminal defense attorney Horace Hunter who uh, uh, has been uh, involved in disciplinary proceedings with the uh, Virginia State Bar Association involving his blogging about uh, cases uh, and clients uh, that he's involved with. Attorney Hunter didn't actually use a a client's name, used a pseudonym, but uh, nonetheless, uh, last year the Virginia Bar had uh, asked him to... uh, post uh, indicate on his blog that it constituted an advertisement and should include some kind of a disclaimer. Uh, He contested that, uh, claiming uh, that what he was doing was not an advertisement uh, and that uh, any need to post that kind of a disclaimer would be a violation of his First Amendment rights. That has proceeded, uh, and and, uh, there uh, was a formal charge of of misconduct uh, ordering uh, from the Virginia Bar, ordering Hunter to take down the uh, blog content and, and post a disclaimer that complies with the rules. Uh, we're going to explore this issue a little bit more, a lot more, I hope, uh, over the course of the next uh, half hour. And uh, to help us do that, we're going to have three guests joining us today. Uh, let me first let me introduce them, and then we'll get into the discussion. First of all, I'd like to welcome back to the show uh, Kevin O'Keefe, uh, CEO and publisher of LexBlog. LexBlog is a company that develops social media strategies, custom social media solutions, blogs, and websites for lawyers and firms. 
Kevin's own blog, Real Lawyers Have Blogs, is a leading source of information on the use of blogs and other social media for lawyers and law firms. You can find out much more about uh, Kevin and about LexBlog at LexBlog.com. So, Kevin, welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, Bob. I appreciate it. Good to have you back. And uh, next, uh, let me introduce uh, Eric E. Johnson. Eric uh, is from the University of North Dakota School of Law. Uh, Eric's primary scholarly interests are intellectual property and media entertainment law with a special interest in new media. And uh, he also writes uh, the blog, Blog Law Blog, which covers the legal aspects of blogging. Uh, You can find his blog at, you guessed it, bloglawblog.com. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Eric. Thanks, Bob. It's great to be here. Appreciate it. Good to have you. And and, uh, last, but uh, by no means least, is Peter Beeth. Uh, Peter is a legal editor for Virginia Lawyers Weekly. Uh, Peter practiced civil litigation for 16 years in Virginia before joining Virginia Lawyers Weekly in 2008 as legal editor. He currently covers the regulation of lawyers in Virginia and contributes to two blogs maintained by Virginia Lawyers Weekly. Peter's followed this the uh, Horace Hunter case closely, uh, attended the hearing, and uh, we'll be able to provide some details on that. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thanks very much. Greetings to all from, from Virginia. Very good. Okay. I should mention uh, the the Virginia State Bar did, in fact, uh, get back to us uh, about participating in the show, but uh, declined uh, because of the fact that the case uh, is still pending. Uh, and... Uh, also, just to uh, follow up, I, th- I think that we are going to have uh, Horace on the show next week, uh, providing the scheduling works out, but he has confirmed he's going to be available, so we may uh, have him on next week. Uh, I'd like to start, uh, Peter, if I could, with you. Uh, you're, you're, you're kind of boots on the ground, uh, so to speak, with re- regard to this issue, and you've, you've uh, followed it uh, and attended some of the hearings. Uh, bring us up to date. Uh, what's, what's going on with this case? Well... There's this uh, lawyer in Richmond, uh, Horace Hunter, uh, does criminal defense work in uh, both state courts and federal court. And um, he had a website, but he wanted his website to be a little more than than um, what some other defense lawyers um, have, just a, a sort of um, you know basic one-page uh, poster, if you will. It's, it's call us if you get in trouble or, or something like that. Uh, he thought he could distinguish himself and distinguish his firm. Uh, it's a two-person firm, by the way. Um, distinguish it by adding, you know, some personal comments on there. And he created a blog, which he called This Week in Richmond Criminal Defense. But he didn't just write about Richmond cases. He he um, commented on some national cases, including the uh, Strauss-Kahn case and the Casey Anthony trial. And um, he often would end these comments with a sort of moral uh, along the lines of uh, everyone is uh, innocent until proven guilty, and you always have a right to a trial, and that sort of thing. Um, and interspersed amongst these, um, if you will, national comments uh, or comments of national interest, he, he talked about his own court successes uh, and described cases where someone was uh, facing, uh, you know, evidence or charges of severe crimes, and and he managed to exonerate them or get a, uh, a lesser finding against them. Um, and he identified his clients by name. He, he didn't use uh, pseudonyms, although in one case he used um, just the first initial of the person's, uh, the initial of the person's first name. Uh, but he used their, for the, for the most part, they were clearly identifiable. And um, 
That's where the Virginia State Bar stepped in, saying he needed to have a, a disclaimer about these case results. Uh, the bar essentially says case results are not reliable to uh, predict future outcomes, and they want you to tell anyone reading uh, that that's the case, sort of a your mileage may vary kind of disclaimer. Uh, and the bar also wanted to uh, wanted Hunter to label his own case result postings as advertising. Um, Mr. Hunter dug in his heels. Uh, he would not agree to have his blog labeled advertising, and uh, although and he did agree it was partly a marketing tool, but he drew a, a line between advertising and marketing and said this isn't advertising. Uh, and the bar took the charges of misconduct to a disciplinary committee hearing. And along the way, they discovered that the clients, uh, at least some of them described in these case results, had never given consent to have their cases discussed in public. And uh, that was a separate charge. Um, again, though, Hunter would not concede that was a problem. He argued that the rules of professional conduct allowed him to publicize uh, what had happened in open court. As long as it was in open court, he said this is it's fair game, regardless of, uh, of client consent. So... Um, that was the scene uh, that uh, led up to the um, to the disciplinary hearing, and, and he was uh, found to have uh, violated uh, both counts that he was charged with, but he got uh, a, a minimal uh, disciplinary uh, punishment, if you will. Well, well this has uh, generated a, a good deal of, of coverage. I mean, obviously, I know that, that Peter, you've, you've obviously written about this. I know the, the Washington Post uh, had reported uh, about this uh, earlier this month and has continued to follow the story in its, uh, in its uh, capital business section. I'd like to uh, bring in uh, our, our other guests and get their feedback uh, on this. I mean, Eric, starting with you, what, what's been your reaction to this case? And how do you view what's happened here? Well, I'm 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 really glad Horace is fighting this. I, uh, I I'm I'm not not completely sure why he's fighting it, but uh, maybe I should call him Mr. Hunter because I, uh, I I don't really know him. But I'm very very glad that he's uh, he's fighting this. I think it's a very important issue, and um, the you know it's traditional that uh, rules of professional responsibility have put some kind of restrictions on what attorneys are allowed to say, whether it's impugning judges or their speech that can be construed as advertising or marketing. And I think it's very important that uh, we uh, fight for the First Amendment in this arena because uh, the law is an incredibly important thing for us to have an open dialogue about in this society. And there's nobody who knows it better as a class of people than lawyers. So if we have... Um, uh, a regime of regulation that is limiting lawyer speech, I think the implications of that are, are quite far-reaching and really reach into the core of what the First Amendment's about. So I think it goes well beyond what we might view as a narrow issue of uh, uh, regulation of a profession and, and goes into, I think, core First Amendment territory. So I'm very pleased that he's fighting this. And uh, uh, like I said, I'm not, I'm not really sure I, I, I'm, I'm sort of surprised that he's fighting this, but at the same, by the same token, I'm, I'm sort of surprised that the Virginia bar continues to fight as well. But um, I, I think maybe we'll get some interesting precedent out of here. I, I certainly think that uh, uh, the uh, spirit uh, of the First Amendment and the spirit of uh, meaningful political discourse supports Hunter's uh, view here. Well, and I, of course, hear what you're saying about about the First Amendment. But uh, Kevin, I, I wonder what you think about from a, from a marketing point of view. Does it make sense? Uh, I mean, should a lawyer be blogging about 
his or her clients have cases. They're, what do you think about what's happening here? Yeah, I mean, part of this feels like bad facts equals bad law, you know, and you end up with the these situations that become sensational because of there's there's a number of things that are coming into play. I mean, so you have, you know, Mr. Hunter blogging about his clients' names, whether those were in the public domain or not, I don't know. I mean, it appears some of them were, um, but maybe some of them were not. And so now he's using his clients' names possibly without their use. I could see that being a problem um, under any stretch of the rules under under advertising. Um, you, 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 no question, uh, I, I have great empathy for lawyers that blog that shouldn't have to put advertising at the bottom of their their blog. You know, it's it's what is what is that content? And I don't think it's the lawyer's intent that controls that 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 level of uh you know free speech commercial speech i think it's the actual content of the message itself you know what what is the message uh saying if you know horace is reporting on cases um you know there was a case down in texas that goes way back um that said that you know a lawyer who ran a newspaper advertisement asking people what they thought of the election methods, you know, was not involved in commercial speech, even though the lawyer fully intended it to dialogue for a marketing behavior. He, he told the judge, I did this totally for marketing. And the judge said, I don't care. Uh, you, you know, on the face of it, it's not marketing. Now, in Horace's case, if he's reporting on criminal cases, which some of his blogs do, and he's offering insight and commentary on that, isn't that free speech? I mean, just like a reporter and a journalist would report on free speech. Now, if he gets over and he's going to talk about the results that he's obtained in other cases, and he may even use clients' names without their permission, has he crossed over from total free speech into commercial speech, and in which the you know the Supreme Court has said that we can place restrictions on lawyers advertising with commercial free speech so you get into that into this gray area at the at the bottom line you know when i looked at this thing and first saw uh Catherine ho write the uh, the story you know my response was you know there's no record of any disciplinary actions against virginia attorneys regarding blogging dating back to 1999 you know, and that I, you know, I've got seven thousand lawyers blogging on the LexBlog network, and none of them have been sanctioned in any way. So, is this a big to do about nothing based on these facts? And maybe it is. Um, and it it brings up a lot of turmoil about, gee, should we have to put advertising in the bottom of this thing? In the state of New York, I think arguably a lawyer would be safe to put the word advertising, attorney advertising at the bottom, near where they put the word copyright in very small font, and they're going to be fine. And I'm not sure I look at that as too big an imposition if other information on the blog includes information about who this lawyer is and how I might get a hold of them. And a lot of blogs do that not necessarily for marketing overtly, but for saying who's doing the writing 
so that the reader of the writing can decide, is this a person of some credibility? Well, let me, I, I, I'm wondering, uh, I, I, I'm remembering uh, a case, I think it was out of Chicago, and Kevin, you may know about this as well, a couple of years ago uh, involving a lawyer who was at least brought up on uh, disciplinary charges, I don't know that anything ever came of it, uh, who had been blogging about clients. As I recall, it was a, a perhaps a public defender uh, who was not mentioning the names of clients, but providing enough details in her posts that uh, those uh, familiar with the situation could identify uh, the, the clients being blogged about. Uh, and of course, the, the ethics issue there was, was this duty to maintain client confidences. Uh, Peter, I mean, is that is that part of the case in Virginia, the duty to maintain confidences, or is the bar really focusing on this advertising issue? And, and before Peter answers that, she went up to Wisconsin, got a license, and did the same thing and got sanctioned. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good. So we know more on that. It's the stubborn ones who, uh, <laughs> you know, make these cases that we can, for us to talk about. I think most of them, um, uh, you know, you pointed that there hasn't been a case of, of bar discipline uh, over blogging in Virginia uh, since 1999, what happens is the the, the bar calls or the and and says, well, I've got a problem with your website, and they say, well, tell me what I need to do to fix it, and they do, and they do, and that's right. the end of it. Um, it's rare for a lawyer to say, well, you know, I think I have a First Amendment right not to uh, put this label on on there or this disclaimer on there, and uh, uh, it takes lawyers like like Horace Hunter who really don't mind sticking their neck out a bit to uh, bring this up. Uh, I'm not sure that was, I'm answering a question I, I wasn't asked. Um, uh, <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> uh, Bob, what was the question? Again? Well, I, I was wondering whether the uh, the issue of disclosing client confidences was part of the case against Hunter in, in oh. Virginia, as opposed to just the, the focus on the uh, uh, the failure to comply with the advertising guidelines. Well, they turned it into uh, the the disclosing client confidences. Um, they turned that into the, the main part of the case. Um, I, I don't know whether they perceived weakness. Uh, I, I you know can't read their minds. I, I don't know whether they thought they they might have a problem with their um, uh, uh, requirement for the disclaimer uh, or the advertising label. Uh, they were uh, faced with a brief that Mr. Hunter had filed by uh, First Amendment scholar Rod Smola. Um, and, uh, but so they, they came out swinging, uh, leading with, he didn't get his client's consent and put their name and their story on his blog. And, uh, I, I think that's probably their strongest suit. And, and, and it really took it out of the realm of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the high, high level first amendment arguments and, and took it right down to whether he was treating his clients right. And I think there was a lot of, I think that that had the committee members, there were eight of them sort of thinking, well, you know, gee, this guy really has um, stepped over a line I don't think I, I'm comfortable uh, uh, doing. Yeah, I, um, I I was able to get Mr. Hunter on the phone. Um, is this Eric? Yeah, this is yeah, Eric. Yeah, so I was able to get him on the phone briefly before our uh, uh, conversation here, and, and, I, and I asked him about where the case was at. Uh, it's the first time I've talked to him. But you know, I got to say, he, it sounds to me, and, and I've read the charge of misconduct paper filed by the Virginia State Bar, it sounds to me like they were trying to go to war with him on regulating this as advertising, and they realized that wasn't going their way. And so they went to this as a sort of second theory to try to, to, try to get something out of this file um, with this uh, 
client confidences or, or I guess there's actually really two separate issues here. I, I don't think he's being accused of violating client confidences. I think I think because if you read the Virginia rules, they they say that you can't talk about a case, even if it's public information without the client's consent. So I think to be fair to Mr. Hunter, we need to uh, be careful about that because I don't, and I'm not as familiar with the case uh, as, as I could be, I guess. You know, I've just looked at it today, but it, it doesn't look like he's anyone's talking about him having violated a confidence. Okay. It looks like what they're talking about is whether he got permission to talk about public information about a case, um, having a special duty under the Virginia rules not to even discuss public information about a case without the client's consent, which I guess I would regard as some kind of a, a loyalty duty that, uh, that, the, that the code has rather than a, than a confidentiality duty. But, you know, I, I talked to him and he doesn't, it just doesn't sound like a case of bad facts. He sounds like a very rational guy. And I, and I asked him, you know, why, because the big mystery to me is why are you fighting this? Why didn't you just do what they asked you? And, and he told me, you know, uh, I, I, I spent some time putting together a letter with case citations, trying to explain to them rationally that I didn't think this was advertising and, and being ready to engage in a discussion with them. And they just came back to me saying, no, it's advertising, do what we, what we tell you. And, um, and uh, he uh, uh, decided that uh, if they weren't going to um, sort of engage in a conversation with him and take his argument seriously, that he was just going to go ahead and fight it, which is why I'm glad he did. Um, so uh, I really think this is a, a, about them trying to get their disclaimer label on everything, which in my mind wouldn't pass First Amendment scrutiny because I don't it, think... It that, sure wouldn't seem so. And when you... You know, when I think back to being, uh, I've been a lawyer for 30 years and a trial lawyer for 20 years, when when we filed, you know, complaints, they were often picked up by the media. We were often questioned by the media. We even did press conferences, um, you know, you know, without getting every client's consent because it was newsworthy. It was very much newsworthy. Um and now the fact that he's taken this over and he's reporting it on his blog, um, I don't think it makes it any less newsworthy. Um, he's just getting some credit for it um, as opposed to, you know, a traditional newspaper. So I can understand his point, you know, on that. All right. We're going to uh, we're going to take a short break right now, but please stay with us and we will have more discussion about this uh this fine line between the First Amendment uh, and blogging uh, and legal ethics uh, in just a few moments. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No, I, with most cloud computing providers, moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And uh, even if you have an existing, uh, a legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a, a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running to the cloud in less than in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported uh, in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. 
Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. This is Kay Kenny at Legal Talk Network, and I'm talking with attorney Mimi Manginis, co-founder of Above All Legal, a new online job board for the legal community. Mimi, how is Above All Legal different from the other online legal job boards? Well, we believe that the reason Above All Legal stands out among the rest is based on a few factors. First, we're attorney-owned and operated. We're dedicated strictly to the legal profession, and we are an extremely cost-effective way for employers to market their firm. Also, we're free for the job seeker, and we're very user-friendly. Finally, our many years of legal staffing experience have enabled us to create a job board that best showcases our job seekers and puts the finest legal community and organizations together. We've been talking to attorney Mimi Manginis, co-founder of Above All Legal. Check it out at AboveAllLegal.com. That's AboveAllLegal.com. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Uh, we are joined today by Kevin O'Keefe, CEO and publisher of LexBlog, Eric E. Johnson from the University of North Dakota School of Law, uh, and uh, Peter Veith, uh, legal editor for Virginia Lawyers Weekly. And we're talking about uh, legal blogging and uh, legal ethics, and particularly about the, uh, the case in Virginia that's uh, been much in the news. Um, you know, the, the, uh, this whole question of regulating lawyer advertising uh, as it uh, as it relates to the First Amendment uh, goes back, of course, as far as as far back as, as lawyers have been advertising. Uh, and uh, there's been a, a attempts to balance this uh, in various ways and, and by various states. Uh, Eric, how do you see this? Case? I mean, if I'm hearing you, 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 you don't see... Uh, 
a much gray area in this case. This one looks pretty black and white to you. Is that right? Well, yeah, I, I, I agree that there's a, there's a compelling interest uh, in regulating lawyer advertising. I just don't think this is advertising. The real question is not – the, the, the question in this case is, is this, is this advertising? And, and to me, it seems that the Virginia Bar's insistence that this is advertising is sort of a failure for them to, to get with the times. I mean, in order for them to think that, the, that this blog is advertising, it seems to me they have to conceive of his whole website as being a single unit and that being an advertisement. And I just don't see websites like that. I see websites, I think of websites more like a building, which has many rooms inside of it, uh, some of which could be the bathroom, some could be the kitchen, uh, which have different functions and, and different rules apply to them, different codes. So it seems if they're thinking the whole website is an advertisement, that seems a little silly to me. Um, and uh, certainly there can be advertisements on his website. And I have no doubt there's a marketing purpose to it, but there's a difference between rainmaking activities and marketing, marketing and something that is an advertisement. And, and I just don't think this is an advertisement. Peter, uh, in Virginia, what, what, what's the sense of the lawyers you talk to there, if, if anything? I mean, do you, where do you think this is going to go? Uh, are they going to continue to push this? Are they likely to work out some kind of a resolution? Uh, and, and, and where's the support lie among the lawyers in Virginia? Well, yeah, there were a lot of people watching this. There's a, um, a Virginia Lawyers Forum on, uh, on LinkedIn uh, where a number of lawyers expressed concern about the prosecution of Mr. Hunter. But unlike Hunter, no lawyer that I have ever heard about here once uh, has, has tried to uh, defy the edicts of the, uh, of the state bar ethics folks. Um, in, in fact, there was a, some discussion on this, uh, in this forum about you know, what would be the precise wording of a disclaimer that would satisfy uh, the regulators at the state bar. Um, you know, they, 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 they uh, were sort of cheering from the sidelines for Mr. Hunter, but at the same time, they, they wanted to make sure that uh, they weren't the ones who were uh, literally standing in the dock. And, um, uh, and he, to, he proposed uh, some sort of a disclaimer, right? I mean, he proposed some language that he was willing to use. Yeah, essentially. Uh, one of the, and I don't know what, there were negotiations. I don't know what the final terminology he proposed uh, was, but apparently it was fairly close to what they wanted. They just couldn't get, get together. Uh, yeah, I have but it in it, front he, of me. He wanted to say, this is not advertising. Um, you know, your case results may vary, but I'm not advertising here. I'm describing um, stuff that's happened, and I'm talking about it. Yeah, Eric, you said you have, you have the language? Yeah, I have it in front of me, and, and it really is close to what they wanted. And, and <laughs> But here's what he says. This week in Richmond criminal defense is not an advertisement. It is a blog. The views and opinions expressed on this blog are solely those of attorney Horace F. Hunter. The purpose of these articles is to inform the public regarding various issues involving the criminal justice system and should not be construed to suggest a similar outcome in any other case. Now, you know, I think that goes well beyond what the First Amendment would require for that Virginia to, to satisfy their the the bar's disclaimer requirement it just well they, they're I guess hung they, up on the advertising thing they're hung up on their particular words and they're also seem to be hung up on calling this an advertisement yes and he's right it's not an advertisement I mean he's taking care of the substance of their concern 
just not agreeing that it's, a, that it's an advertisement. Right. And he's so, right about that. So, so if the substance of the if the concern lies with informing consumers uh, and, and full disclosure to, to readers of this of this website, uh, it, it sounds like what he's proposing certainly satisfies that. Sure does. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, he. This is O'Keefe, but it sure seems to go an awful long way uh, yeah. to that, and he's going right to the merits of it, even more so than uh, what Virginia may be demanding, other than the word just saying advertising. Yeah. This, uh, this is Peter. You have to yeah. wonder whether that dispute would have been enough for the bar to have taken it to a disciplinary committee if that were all that was there. Right. They had this business of um, the duty of loyalty to a client, and they, you know, I, I tend to think that is the stronger argument. And as long as they had that to to fight with them over, um, it was going to the committee. So they yeah. tagged on with the with the disclaimer. Because you 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 could start to take these things to to emails and text messages and phone conversations, paid search ads, tweets, you know, Facebook status updates. Articles and legal publications, comments and blog posts. I mean, that, that's where all this would head if you wanted to run with what Virginia was saying. Yeah. And if, yeah. if you bought into the logic of their argument, that logic would apply to all these. You know, you, after every tweet, you'd have to put advertisement. Um, you know, it'd be a little bit crazy. Yeah, um, they're, they're going to 140 <laughs> characters. <laughs> uh, we, are, we are running close to the end of the show, uh, and I do want to make sure I give each of you an opportunity to get your your kind of final thoughts uh, on this topic before we wrap up. Uh, and I also want to uh, invite each of you to let our listeners know how they can follow up with you and find out more about your your own work. Uh, and so uh, let's let's do that. And, and uh, Kevin O'Keefe, let me uh, let me start with you. Yeah, I mean, uh, listening to this today, you know, I'm more in the camp of understanding why, you know, uh, attorney uh, Horace uh, Fraser Hunter is fighting this, um, probably what, than I was in the beginning. In the beginning, I was more saying pragmatic, just put the word advertising in the bottom. I'm feeling more, based on what he's done, that uh, it was pragmatic. You know, my name, if anybody ever wants to get a hold of me, is Kevin O'Keefe. And they can email me or find me on my blog at kevin.lexlog.com. I appreciate the time being on. All right. Thanks a lot. And uh, Eric E. Johnson, how about you next? Yeah. Um, well, I just uh, – one final thought on this is that I counted uh, up on this complaint. There's 13 numbered paragraphs in the charge of misconduct. Only the last two deal with this loyalty issue. So it seems to me that that's the add-on that the uh, Virginia State Bar went to when they thought they might be losing on their advertising sticking point. Um, I've, I've uh, really enjoyed discussing this with you. If you want to find me on the web, ericejohnson.com. And my main blog is uh, bloglawblog.com. So uh, thanks, everyone. Thank you very much. And uh, Peter Veith, uh, your final thoughts. Well, um, Mr. Hunter says he will appeal, though I, I don't know whether he told Eric anything different. He's talked to him more recently, apparently. Um, but uh, he has some choices there, and, and um, uh, eventually, if he uh, continues, if he if he loses at the next level, he could take it to the Supreme Court of Virginia, which might mean a published opinion uh, on this issue that um, uh, could establish some precedent. Um, he could also, of course, drop the whole thing, uh, follow along with what they've asked for, and um, and that would be uh, the end of it. Other than as a uh, a discussion item. But uh, it'll be interesting to see as this uh, as social media develops and um, uh, this issue comes to the fore in uh, 
in media other than uh, websites and, and uh, web blogs that uh, discuss case results. Um, I am Peter Veith, and uh, I work for Virginia Lawyers Weekly, and uh, you can find them at uh, valawyersweekly.com. It's part of the Dolan Company, and we're a weekly uh, trade publication for lawyers, and we have a very active website with uh, two blogs that are available through that website. And, and can, is there a direct link to the blog, or is it right off that website? It's right off the website. Yeah, the blogs, okay. So yeah, we can find some of you reporting on this on the blog, and I know uh, I know uh, Virginia Lawyers Weekly. Uh, I think part of it is behind a paywall, and part of it is in front. So the the stuff on the blog is out there, right? Uh, the stuff on two of our blogs is uh, out there, and we have a blog that just deals with the uh, Supreme Court of Virginia, uh, and currently that is behind a paywall. Okay. Very good. Well, thanks to all three of you uh, for taking the time to be with us and share your uh, observations and insights and, and thoughts on this. A very interesting discussion, and I'm sure we'll all be interested to see how this plays out uh, over the coming weeks and months. Uh, uh, a reminder to our listeners that uh, they can find uh, all of our programs at uh, LegalTalkNetwork.com and in the uh, podcast library on iTunes. Uh, and that you can actually get CLE credit for listening to uh, select uh, Legal Talk Network podcasts. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on the West Legal Ed Center link there. Uh, we will be back next week uh, with another great show and, and perhaps uh, uh, with Horace uh, Hunter himself on the show uh, if the scheduling works out. So I hope you'll listen then. Uh, until then, thanks for listening and uh, see you next week. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Gee Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.